This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to The Haunted Estate here with your host, yes, that is me, Selena Myers. Please make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, download the episode, stuff like that. Rate us, review us, share us with your friends, share us on Facebook. Feel free to add me on Snapchat, which is Selena's Life, C-E-L-I-N-A-S-L-I-F-E. I absolutely love meeting you guys. I've had a drastic influx of listeners lately. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody's mentioned the podcast somewhere. If you've heard someone mention me, please let me know on Facebook or on Snapchat. I have been blown away and just super happy. I didn't really realize until I get emails for people subscribing to the newsletter through the website. And I was like, whoa, there's like 12 every time I refresh my phone, which is amazing. And I love you guys. And thank you so much. This podcast is really a place for us all to kind of come together, experience, talk about, deal with, ask questions about the paranormal, uh, anything spooky in general. This podcast, I really want to be definitely paranormal. I also want to talk about dark and creepy stuff because that's who I am on the inside. It's funny because people in my personal life, like they know, but they don't like know, you know. (laughs) Also, if you do have a ghost story, a legend, anything that you want to share, a topic to be talked about, please feel free to call us and let us know. It is just an answering machine. It just has me creepily saying thank you for calling, blah, blah, blah. That toll-free phone number is 1-877-260-3428. Or if you want to shoot me an email, I would love to read it. And that's Selena, C-E-L-I-N-A at thehauntedestate.com and our website where you can find all our episode titles, any links that we use in episodes. There's not too much on there. If you have any cool ideas to add on there, please let me know what you would like to see. So last episode was me reading chapter one from my book, The Home Reader, A Paranormal Journey. I really hope that you guys have enjoyed it. Um, I'm literally recording this 20 minutes after I uploaded the first one, so I haven't heard back from anyone. I'm just excited to share with you guys, and I hope you're excited to hear it. But first thing is first, I'm going to do this all the time, guys, because it means so much to me. I want to talk about Fear Farm. Fear Farm is the bomb. Literally, we are in the 30s of days left until opening night, which is September 22nd. And if you're not there, I don't know what you're doing with your life. It is the coolest place. Not only is it the scariest haunts, you get six haunts for one low price. They have the tastiest food in the entire world. And I want to meet you guys. Do you know how cool it would be to like legit meet you guys? I won't look like myself because of course I turn into a monster once the sun goes down. Legit 
no question about that. Inside, comes out, I freak people out, I live for it. It's who I am. So don't forget to stop by. It is in Air, which is a kind of the Waterloo region of Ontario. Come, get a hotel, stay over. It's worth it. It's the best haunt in all of Ontario. I'm not kidding. Don't even waste your time anywhere else. It is the best. They are also sponsoring the podcast, so you will have a chance to win free tickets in the upcoming weeks slash months. I cannot wait. There is Carnival, Hiller House, The Hayride, Stocking Dead, Condemned, Corn, and Hillbilly Hike. I was there a little while ago ghouling myself out, and they have worked crazy hard. They have so much amazing stuff this year. I am giddy and not even sleeping. I'm a mess. I can't wait until opening night. So don't forget to be there September 22nd and visit fearfarm.ca. That's where you will find directions. Be able to buy tickets, all those fun goodies and stuff like that. It will blow your mind. It blows mine. Cool website, actually. Pictures, info. Oh, I could go on for a month. <laughs> it's silly. Anyways, let's jump into the second chapter of my book, the next few episodes. I'm going to have them all out within this week is actually my goal. Then kind of go back to normal episodes. So be prepared for lots of listening. Um, and then we'll be running more to the every few days kind of schedule for the other episodes. But I just want to get this book out. A lot of people, as I said, were looking for the audio version, which was not out there. Getting it re-edited has just not been a fun experience for this book. I'm just think I'm going to scrap it and pull it off the shelves until things can be dealt with. It is, you know, the busiest, most magical time of the year as we fall into fall. And we're we're at that point where we're having the evenings that are like a bit cooler. And I just open the windows and I breathe in the cool air and I'm just like, it's so close. Bonfires, marshmallows, boots, leggings, flannel. And I get so excited because flannel is life. We all know that. I like to be toasty in my boots and I'm a curvy lady so I look much better in a cute sweater and boots than I do in a tank top so without further ado let's jump into chapter two <laughs> that's so rhymed the Huntsville estate it's July the sun is beaming down heating the roads to Huntsville Ontario this beautiful area is nestled into the hearth of the wilderness that is northern Ontario The stunning town had a nest of secrets waiting for me upon my first visit. As I made my trip up to this quaint place, I recalled the events that drew me out of the comfort of my home. It had been a startling beginning to the morning. I jolted awake to a 5 a.m. phone call, which I groggily answered despite the unrecognized number. If it was a solicitor, then I might as well give him or her a chance. Early morning hour calls were just another perk of this life. It was a frantic call, with a man speaking at breakneck speed. Before I had even said hello, he had raced into an introduction. I could sense the urgency in his voice, so I took a hold of the conversation. Hello, hello. I tried to cut through the rapid stream of speech. Please slow down so I can understand you. The man paused and exhaled. I'm sorry, it's just I've been up all night trying to find help. All right, how about we start with a name? I said. His breathing slowed. I reached over to a notepad on my desk to record some details, careful not to disturb my slumbering spouse. Okay, my name is Frank, and I've, I've experienced some things I can't explain. Frank's voice had a noticeable quiver. 
I thought you might be able to help me because I found you on the web and I lurked you until I found your contact info. Nice to meet you, Frank. I got enough calls like this over the years to know the sound he had in his voice. It was something I couldn't possibly ignore. What he said next is what caught me by surprise. Frank explained that him and his wife had inherited a home that sat empty on the backcountry. That's when I stopped him from saying any more. I needed to enter the house with a blank slate. I couldn't know anything that was speculative that could tamper with my subconscious when I investigated the scene. The house would tell me its own story when I got there. Refreshed by my recollection, I continued on my drive through the serene countryside, adjusted my stereo and sunglasses. I took in the fresh northern air and radiant roadside greenery. Soon I arrived at the property, but there was still quite a trek. The lane was way more suited for an ATV than any regular car, but I made it up the drive nonetheless. I had expected it to be a little bit more run down, dilapidated, or at least missing some bricks. However, everything down to the front porch was pristine. It was as if the porch's paint had been redone yesterday. Once I laid eyes on the house, I decided very quickly that the residence was not the right word for, a monstro- for this monstrosity. I learned later that Frank and his wife had thought the exact same thing as me. Frank and Susan got up from the porch chairs as soon as I saw my car. At first glance, I could see the big navy blue bags under their eyes and how their bodies leaned together in search of support. Frank grabbed the banister as his wife rushed to the car. Susan took my hands as soon as I stepped out. She frantically explained to me that they had spent the last few nights at a hotel. That last night was the first night they had spent back at the house. They woke at 2.14 a.m. to every window in the house open. All the screens had been popped out and laid on the surrounding lawn. After this, they were unable to sleep and spent the rest of the evening hyper-aware on a caffeine binge. Before we entered the house, I took a few minutes and explained to them what I did. I saw memories. I might not be able to expel the problem, but I hoped I could pinpoint them in the right direction of an explanation. To rid the, wor- to rid the home of anything unworldly, I had called in colleagues. I had set up an investigation with a local paranormal team later in the evening. When talking to the team that was going to conduct the investigation, I could tell they were serious about what they did. I can never stress enough to be cautious of what I call backyard gross hunters. Some can cause much more trouble than what it's worth. I can't start to tell you the amount of cases I have been to that were worsened after some camera-happy people taunted the unknown. After a long telephone call, I was happy with them as my assisting team for the evening. When I first walked into the huge house, I was taken aback. It was as if I had stepped into an extravagant time capsule. I felt the century-old energy cursing through the bones of the building, and I began my work. I was far from home, so I didn't have one of my usual friends to record my observations. Instead, I handed my index cards to Susan and asked her to write what I was going to dictate out loud. I told her to use a different card for each room and not to speak to me until I was finished. I wouldn't be able to really hear her anyways. We started in the front living room to the left. I took my spot on the closest couch. I focused my eyes on a blank spot on the wall and waited. 
It started with the sparkles that crept into the corners of my eyes. The whole house getting brighter and lighter, as if the sun had lit all its dark corners. The air became fresh, and the sounds of loud birds and the smells changed, as if there was fresh baking. The overpowering of freshly mowed lawn that had taken over the estate when I arrived was gone. The furniture looked plusher and younger as if it was new. I remembered being impressed that barely any of the decor was different, just the walls a different color. My attention was brought to the fireplace to the left. There stood a stern woman with both her hands braced against the mantel. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Her head down as if deep in thought. I walked to her, stood beside her. In front of her on the mantel was old dried flowers tied in a small bouquet, a wooden deer, and three opaque pink glass roses. Her dress was long and gracing the floor. It was blue and done up to the neck, a dress I would find far too warm for that hot summer day. I next take notice of the windows. They are all open, no screens. The woman looks in my direction, she doesn't see me, of course. They almost never can. She takes her hands and presses her hair up, smoothing it into a tight brown bun. I take notice of the large brown beauty mark and the noticeable scar that runs from the side of her left eye to her jawline. From this room, I move to the kitchen. In the kitchen, I see and sense nothing, but only to catch the scent of overwhelming smell of banking. I follow the hallway into the room with a large dining table and the adjoining room that houses more chairs and more couches in front, and in front of me is a large desk and another huge bay window. At first, I don't see him. His pallor matches the long, deep table. A young man. He is perfectly still, and in the same moment that I notice him, he's gone. I find him standing at the bay window. Making my way to him, I am careful to say what I see out loud. He seems to be staring at something. All his focus and emotion goes into the glance. Squinting, I see that there is a man about half a kilometer out in the space that today is hidden by brush and trees. A strapping man is digging, adding to the growing pile of dirt beside him. My concentration breaks, and I see the young man who stood at the window gliding away from me. He squats beside a buffet, tucks something underneath the bottom of the dark wood. He stands, 
wipes his hands on his brown trousers, and heads for toy-littered stairs. Amongst the toys, there was a doll made from a corn cob, which his lanky legs graze over. He then takes the first right into the bedroom. I follow him. He moves the picture above the master bed to reveal a hole. There he takes something out and puts something in his pocket. He walks out of the room and disappears. Now in front of me is a hallway, where the roof is lined in grey smoke. For me, the appearance that this grey means sadness, negativity, or something a little more sinister. At the end of the hall stands, a stir- stands the stern woman from the fireplace, her back to me, looking out the window. Down this hallway was seven doors, three on one side, four on the other. The first two empty rooms were white, filled with the toys of little girls. The third room on the left did not have a door. The walls were blue, and the room in the room had one single bed on the right wall and a crib on the left. The names Matthew and Arthur echoed through the room. I went straight to the single bed. There was a boy, maybe five, tucked tightly into the sheets. The sheets seemed fresh, pressed and starched. They were tucked so tightly around the boy. Too tightly. I soon realized this was not a sleeping child. His lips were shades of blue, the color gone from his face. His eyes were open ever so slightly. I was afraid to turn, afraid to look at the crib. I took my time, but it was empty, all the linens stripped from the mattress. I crossed the hall to the pink room with two identical single beds. They were empty, except for the fresh bundle of flowers tied with twine that lie on each made bed. Between the beds was a table with an assortment of medical glass bottles, cloths, and bowls. The only name that echoed was Lily. I came out of the room to the stern woman who was still standing at the window at the end of the hall. I made my way behind her and looked over her shoulder. She was watching two children playing on hay bales that were aged maybe four and seven. Two teenage boys sat on watching. It was in this moment I saw she held something, a bundle that all I could think of was the sheet she had stripped from the crib in the blue room. The silence was broken. I spun towards the source of the voices, following the sounds. I found the woman from the window now in the kitchen with the man from the bay window. The conversation sounded as if it was through a child's string can telephone. Their voices were warped, but I tried to piece it together. She was pacing and yelling. The man was at the table telling her that they had to leave, that a fresh start was what she needed, that they had to follow the money. She said she couldn't leave because this was the last place her babies knew. He said they could rent the house out so they could come back to it one day. He insisted that they needed to go south because the sickness hadn't reached there yet. I could see the understanding dawning on her face, a sort of resignation settle on the woman's face as the sternness melted away. They had built this place for their family. Together, she and her love had put everything they had into this house. She only ever wanted her family there. At this moment, I felt I understood. I started to feel like I was intruding. 
I knew I had gotten answers in what I considered one of the clearest experiences I had ever had. I crossed the floors to the front living room, back to where I started. I sat on the same couch, closed my eyes, and started a process of coming back into my own reality. When I first received that call from Frank, I used my intuition to try to decipher what it could be. Demon, poltergeist, ghost. Going into the house, I knew nothing of the history. Nothing of the people who live there. I only knew what he had told me. After coming back, I just sat in awe. In my whole life, I had never had such a clear experience. Usually I would get a thought, maybe a few names, or one scene. But this played out like a movie. I felt like I was the one haunting them. I looked to Susan. The stack of my index cards were looking heavy in her hands. I asked if I had scared them, after seeing the shade of white Frank's face had turned. It was shocking, because he had never seen anything that I had done before. Susan and I went to the table where she spread out the assortment of cards. I was taken aback at the amount of information she was able to collect from my rambling. I didn't expect that, Susan said as the corners of her mouth started to pull down, still in some sort of shock-laden trance. I always believed in that stuff, but... I looked at her also, feeling kind of perplexed. You knew about the cemetery. You got the names. So many of the names. Frank came back into the room, putting a picture on the table in front of me. There was the lady I saw with the large mole and the even larger scar and her hair tight in a bun. He said this was a picture he had found under the buffet that I had mentioned. It was his grandmother. She had left the house in 1934. This is when he explained the history of the house and his family. In 1934, the family had boarded the windows, took only what they could carry, and moved to southern Ontario. I guess guess their plan had been to use the large eight-bedroom house as a summer home after they left. Due to some circumstances, it never came to be. The home was never visited by the family who had lovingly built it, ever again. Frank explained that he and his wife had inherited the home that had once sat empty in the backcountry of northern Ontario. His estranged mother and her parents before that had owned it. Luckily, the family had some wealth and paid a local man to maintain the property and keep up with the home so it never fell into disrepair. When Frank's mother had inherited the house in 1967, she never told a soul. There was a trust left by her father to only be used for the home's maintenance. Frank had only found out about the house and the info weeks after his mother had passed from a lawyer. March 2013 was the first time Frank and his wife Susan loaded the minivan and set out on the two-hour adventure to find this secret house. They were overwhelmed with excitement. When they had arrived and saw a letter left by the groundskeeper, Harold, it read like so. Frank and Susan, I hope you enjoy your new home. I have included a set of keys in the mailbox. All that was ever done to the inside was repair work, your usual dusting and cleaning. All linens were stripped from the beds in rooms 2, 4, and 6 last year and burned due to mold. Luckily, there is no mold anywhere else in the house. 
Your mother had the electrical redone in 2009, a new furnace installed in 2010. This house is really a treasure and a real time capsule. It has always weighed heavy on my family that such a beautiful place was not lived in. We hope you can bring life back into it. We think it would make the spirits less restless. Harold. P.S. Leave a letter in the front mailbox of what you would like done and your future plans for the home. We will be back Wednesday. That day, Frank and Susan didn't say a word to each other until they were both back on the front porch. Susan had tears in her eyes. She expressed to him that she had never seen something so beautiful. They had to do something with this place, not sell it like they had first discussed. Harold was right. The house was a time capsule. The outside looked like your basic red brick farmhouse, but the inside was stunning. The walls were lined with dark cherry wood. The ceilings all had crown moldings and plaster art. The amount of time putting together home this stunning would have taken forever, and a lot of money back in the day it was built. On from the foyer was a staircase that wrapped around the 25-foot wide hallway. On the left and right of the hall were oversized openings that entered into two large great rooms. One had lush Victorian carpeting, a stunning master piano, and oversized settees. Old art and mirrors covered most of the walls. The room to the right held, in the back, a 15-foot dining table with all matching captain chairs. In the front great room was a large desk, an angry-looking taxidermy black bear. And beyond that was another area that featured more oversized plush Victorian armchairs. They walked quietly as if they were too afraid to disturb the family that had been gone for nearly a hundred years. In the back of the house, they found a library lined with musty old books, five children's desks. Around the corner was a completely white kitchen with glass-paned cupboards, and off the kitchen was a tall atrium, the glass green from many years of sun. Since the house was so large, it felt to them as if it took them ten minutes to climb the stairs. They were all made of the same dark wood as the foyer. Mirrors of all different sizes and shapes lined the walls on the side of the staircase. Every step that you took brought you into a new mirror. Your face was either warped from the years of heat and moisture that speckled by aging the lined reflective surface. Once they reached the landing and separated to explore the rooms, they found eight bedrooms of varying sizes. Some set up with a crib, a child's bed, or filled with furniture draped with white sheets. Down a separate hall was four identical three-piece bathrooms, tiled from floor to ceiling. They spent two hours in the walls of that home that they now owned, exploring each cranny, each drawer, and every corner. The commute was too far from their jobs, and it would be too hard to maintain it just as a vacation house. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So after a dinner out and a few glasses of wine, the couple had decided to turn the house into a bed and breakfast. The inheritance he got from his mother was not a lot, but it was enough to live off of while they got the house ready and transitioned into backcountry living. 
Over the next few months, they worked closely with Harold on getting the house into top shape so they could take guests. It wasn't until they started modifying the bedrooms, replacing beds and curtains, that strange things began. Rooms 2, 4, and 7 had all the existing furniture pulled into the middle of the room, so the walls were easy to access for a fresh coat of paint. Susan had just finished her last room when she popped down the hall to use the restroom. She was gone maybe three minutes. The doors were all left open so they could have good airflow for the drying paint. After she finished, Susan was walking down the hall when she noticed that all the doors that she had propped open with rocks were closed. She called out for Frank, thinking maybe he was up to something, but didn't hear a reply. So she opened the door to the room she had most recently painted. All the air was immediately sucked out of her chest. The furniture that had been placed in a mass in the middle of the room was all back in its original spots against the freshly painted wet walls. She ran out and threw open the doors to the other two rooms. Just like the first room, all the furniture that had been in the middle of the room was back in its original places, against wet, freshly painted walls. Frank wasn't even on the property. She had remembered that he had gone into town an hour ago for supplies. It was only her in that large, desolate house. All Susan knew was that whatever had moved that much furniture in total silence in a matter of minutes had to be more powerful than she wanted to force herself to imagine. When she showed Frank what had happened, he tried but failed coming up, for, coming up with an ex explanation. After a long day of silence, he came to Susan and promised if something else big happened, they would contact someone who might be able to explain. That night, Frank had done some web research and found that when you invade a place that's been desolate for, for so long, it can cause some weird disturbances. But that in most cases, it wasn't something to be worried about. In his head, he was going to do whatever it took to make this venture work. He had left his job, his friends, and his life to make this dream come true. There was no way some little ghost or activity from God knows what was going to ruin this for his family. <clears throat> that night, Frank was woken by his wife at 2.22 a.m. He was covered in a cold sweat, and his wife was standing appalled with her hands in tight fists against her chest. Her face was white and tears streamed from her eyes. Frank flew from bed, but his wife cowered, falling to the floor, screaming. He sat. It took her a moment to realize that he was now awake. The man who was just screaming in a thick accent was gone. Susan had her body pressed tightly as she could fit into the corner of the west wall. She was stuttering, trying to explain to Frank that he was beating his hands as hard as he could against the bed. He was screaming louder than she thought a man could in a thick, drunken accent. Frank sat back, trying to remember what he had been dreaming about. His dreams were not anything like she had explained. In his sleep, he imagined himself with his old dog playing in the yard of a friend's house. He sat back, also white and stunned, wondering if maybe this was her nightmare alone. It took an hour for Susan's blood pressure to regulate. For the fear that such an event might happen again, Frank slept in the last bedroom down the hall. Things stayed quiet for the remainder of the two months they had set aside to furnish the renovations. 
On June 21st, Susan had used her computer skills to set up an online contest. If you came to the Bed and Breakfast Facebook page, liked, shared it, you'd be entered into a draw for a free night stay at the inn before they opened. The couple was blown away by the response. And by the end of the week, they had chosen five winners. Two young 20-somethings, a single senior man, and an adult mother-daughter duo. Everyone had arrived around 5 p.m. They set up in their respected rooms, then all enjoyed a catered celebration dinner, after which each guest toured the grounds and the house. The guests were also captivated and taken back by the beauty and detail that Frank and Susan had also fallen for. The mother and daughter duo had stayed the evening downstairs with Frank and Susan. They opted for a nightcap and spent the rest of the hours talking about the town and the history of the home. The young 20-somethings had taken over one of the upstairs bathrooms to do what young 20-somethings do. The older gentleman had kept quiet at dinner and was now wandering the grounds taking pictures. Around 10 p.m., the older man made his entrance to the living room that housed Frank, his wife, and the mother-daughter duo. He looked at the foursome and asked a strange question. He directed it to Susan, asking if she would mind if he read a story to her son when they put him down to sleep. Susan stood abruptly, explaining to the man that there were no children on the premises. The man put his hand to his mouth. He then said that he was at the end of the hall that held the guest rooms. He came across the last room on the left. Curiosity captured him when he saw the door open and found inside a young boy playing on the floor. The youngster was laughing and talking loud. He had looked up to the old man, said his name was Arthur, and he was six. Frank and Susan sprung for the stairs, pushing quickly past the old man. They knew that the last room on the left was for storage, that all the furniture was scattered and covered with sheets, the door locked. They took the stairs three at a time, racing down the hall. They stopped at the entrance to the hallway. Looking down, they could see that it was the only door swung open. Frank led the way, Susan five steps behind. She didn't see the room, but she saw the look on Frank's face. He went white as a ghost. Susan took the remaining steps to discover all the furniture was placed against the walls, the sheets folded on a freshly made bed. A bed made with linens that had been thrown out over a month ago. <clears throat> In the middle of the room was a large puddle of water. By this time, the mother-daughter duo and the gentlemen were behind them, only squeaks and gasps coming from their mouths. It was only a few hours earlier they had opened this room using the large key ring and shown them it as an example of what the house was like when they arrived. Everyone there <clears throat> that night knew that this room was not in a livable state. Frank entered the room, reaching down to touch the water. It was oily and warm. No words were exchanged until the older man spoke up. He said that he had seen things like this, and right now would conclude his trip. He thanked Susan and Frank for their hospitality, and was gone within the hour. The mother-daughter duo was more intrigued than anything. Frank and Susan felt hesitant to talk about it. They didn't want to be known as a haunted attraction, and in this moment, they just didn't know how to react. They asked the duo to please not tell the young couple. Then they pointed to their bedroom so they knew where to go if they needed anything. And then they said their goodnights, 
so they could spend the rest of the evening talking this over and trying to figure out exactly what had happened. Was this a paranormal occurrence? Was someone messing with them? Had they left the door unlocked? It was 1am when Frank was ripped out of sleep by a loud noise followed by booming sounds against the wall. Susan stayed in bed, too scared when Frank shot out of the room. Quickly, it became obvious that the sounds were coming from the room that the young 20-somethings were residing in. Frank was pulling on the door, screaming, doing anything he could to pry it open. It wouldn't budge. He could hear the shuffling and the furniture sliding. The door finally burst open. The couple flew out of the room, slamming into the opposite wall with such force they left holes in the plaster. Breathing heavy, the man was staring back into the room, his dark eyes puddles of fear. His mouth was open as if he could not get enough air. His girlfriend was already down the hall, heading already down the hall, holding onto the banister, crying like a scared child. Frank stood in the doorway. Shaking, he tried to flip the light switch. Nothing. The couple finally found their voice. The young lady said she was awoken by a pull on her hair. She went to push her boyfriend, thinking it was him, to find he was facing the opposite way. She reached for the bedside lamp. It wouldn't turn on. Feeling the first tickle of panic, she shook her boyfriend awake. Once roused, he found the light on his table would not work. He sat up, searched the top for his cell phone, but felt nothing. In that moment, he knew that something was really wrong. It wasn't as if the room was just dark. It was beyond dark. The whole room was absent from any light. Along with this blacker-than-black room was the complete absence of sound. The couple started to panic. They were up, out of bed, feeling around the room. The pressure of the silence was building fast in their ears. A pressure that was becoming painful. The ways that your ears hurt when you dive too deep. But the furniture was not as it was when the lights were turned out. Panic and anxiety quickened as the couple couldn't find the door. At the moment, the couple claimed they heard a woman's voice right in their ear out of the deafening silence say, You were not invited. Adrenaline took over and the man started ripping furniture from the walls, trying to find a way out. Finally, he was able to pull the heavy oak armoire from the wall, where they finally heard Frank banging on the other side. It wasn't until Frank and Susan had the couple wrapped in blankets and on the front porch with a cup of tea that they took a flashlight and went into the room. Susan walked carefully to each of the three lamps, trying to turn the little black switches so she could fill the panic-lathened room with light. Not only would they not turn on, the bulbs were gone. Not broken, gone. The couple refused to even go into the house to collect their belongings. Frank packed for them, apologized. The couple barely mumbled a response. The shock of the situation had stolen all their words. The mother and daughter duo were fast on their tails. The whole night was just too much for them to handle. After being woken by the banging and screams, they claimed to have been followed down the stairs by the reflection of a little girl in the mirrors that framed the walls going down the wide wood stairway. It was then Frank had spent the rest of the night looking for some kind of help. This is the night he found me. Together, we reviewed everything and came to a conclusion. That after the house was left sitting for so long, it was a big wake-up to whatever energy was still there. That his grandmother's want for the only family to be there had been so strong, it was affecting them nearly 100 years later. They seemed shocked at the things I saw, 
and that they heard me say, to be honest, I was shocked too. The hole behind the picture in the bedroom over the bed was quite a find for them. It was full of many documents. They got out the family Bible and read to me the names I had mentioned, along with the deaths and the reason they had happened. It didn't end there. Brank brought out a picture of his grandmother, the woman who I had described, by mentioning the large birthmark and scar. It was so evident in the photograph. They were able to show me other things I had seen. When we walked out to the hidden cemetery that I had seen while in that reality, the names of the children matched the ages, and the stones all stood in a line. The local paranormal group had come in and brought a medium that afternoon. She tried to connect with spirits and help them understand. They conducted a full investigation and came up with a couple low-level EVPs and one questionable photo. I had left right after they arrived, as if the reading had taken way more out of me than I assumed it would. I needed to sleep. In the end, the couple had given one more attempt to using the home as a bed and breakfast. Unfortunately, the same kind of events unfolded. I received a call about two months later after my visit. They wanted my opinion on what I personally thought they should do. I'm not an opinionated person. I tend to keep what I think is right to myself. I told them that I thought that if they just used their house as their own, there would be no issues. That her desperate energy after losing those babies had left a large impression on the house. A month later, I received another call. That night, Frank and Susan had sat at the table, explained to the open air that they were family, and from now on, they would be the only ones to reside on the estate. From that night forward, the house was in perfect peace. So that is the end of the Huntsville Estate. It's my absolute favorite chapter in the book. There's some other really great ones, but... That was one of the best experiences I had ever had. All of these are my top experiences. I've done lots of stuff, but that one was the one. <laughs> one of my kind of awakening ones at the beginning of my whole journey on setting out and doing this kind of stuff. So I really hope that you all really enjoyed that. And I hope that you come back and listen to more. And don't forget, if you have a ghost story, topic, local engine, anything like that, please call. Tell me about it. one 260 3428 That is toll free. Email me at selena at thehauntedestate.com. Follow me on Snapchat, which is Selena's Life, C-E-L-I-N-A-S-L-I-F-E, and visit thehauntedestate.com. Don't forget to slide on over to fearfarm.ca to pick up fantastic tickets to the most amazing place in the world. Anyways, I love you guys. Have a great night. My throat hurts. Doodles! It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> this is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. 
With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest-rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. If you're like us here at Chilling Tales and enjoy feeling your stomach filling with dread as dastardly demons dance in your head, make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now to always be the first to enjoy the horror show.